Agile Rabbit make events for curious minds. In partnership with the University of Exeter, we focus on ideas, global affairs and the natural and scientific world. These events are set in contrasting venues across the southwest to provide quirky experiences which welcome conversation. For more information, visit agilerabbit.com. Here is Professor Maurice Block, the reluctant anthropologist, Tales of Madagascar, recorded at Exeter Phoenix, January 2019. I'm going to talk about the group of people who have been working with for more than 40 years, called the Zephi Maniri. If any of you have been to Madagascar, they're quite well known in a way because they're very good woodcarvers. I'm not really going to say very much who the Zephi Maniri are, but they do live in the forest. And if you want to go to the place where I have been working for a long time, you go, first of all, through some fairly typical highland Madagascar countryside. Uh, but you'd be going towards the mountains that you can just see in the distance. And so this is really where I'll be taking you. And you'd arrive deeper in that forest, and you'd begin to see villages like this one in the morning, because you get lots of mist over the forest, and the, the villages tend to stick up above the clouds. It's very beautiful. This is with a group of people, the villages sort of peeling maize. And that gives me a chance to sort of say something about what kind of an anthropologist I am. The word anthropologist could mean almost anything nowadays. But I'm a rather unusual anthropologist as far as British anthropologists are concerned, in that I do two quite different things. One of them is that I'm very interested in trying to understand our species in general terms and to a certain extent trying to understand uh, the history of our species, how we've multiplied and gone all over the place and done, been in all kinds of societies, all kinds of things, and trying to understand the process in general for that, you know, uh, not just as, as a social or cultural anthropologist, which you're probably more used to, but I'm interested in some of the work done by archaeologists, biological anthropologists, and so on. So in that, in that respect, a very, very, very old-fashioned anthropologist, because most of the people in anthropology departments have given this very general kind of reflection up. Um, and I'll be touching a bit on this. Different kind of anthropologist, much more familiar one, and I go to various places around the world, and I try to understand by sharing with people, like I'm doing here, what their point of view is. It's, it's not very clear how these two different kinds of things that I do link up. In fact, most of my colleagues have, given, been, have gone one side, trying to understand in general terms the history of our species, or the other side is trying to focus on, on the locality, on a particular group of people, and try to understand how the world is from their point of view. It's quite a different sort of approach, one's from the outside, one's from the inside. As I say, I'm unusual in that I try to do both, probably because I'm so old that I can afford to do various kinds of things which people don't normally put together. But I think I'll try to give you an idea of how the two things could, be, could link up. So how is it that I do the research? I do the research by sharing. I do the research very little by asking people questions. 
And that has been characteristic of a lot of anthropology that makes it very different from, let's say, other social scientists who, when they want to study a group of people, sort of think, ah, oh, must go and ask them, how do you, why do you do this? How do you do it? Tell us and then take notes you know, through interviews. And how am I going to start to introduce some of the things I want to talk about, about what life is like in, in a village like this? I think the best way I can do it is to describe what happens in the morning, every morning, in one of these houses. The senior woman in the house begins to prepare breakfast and um, people tidy up the old blankets they've been uh, sleeping in. And after a while, you know, the, the breakfast things have gone, been tidied up, the blankets have been tidied up. And the people in, in, in the house begin to place themselves in very significant positions. The senior people, the owners of the house, place themselves to the northeast of the house, in, in the corner, getting ready. The man and the woman usually sit there, and they're waiting for visits from their children, say just the, the, the children, or representatives of the houses of the children, because the, the children live in different houses, and they'll come. They'll come at the other end of the house, in the southwest part of the house, near the entrance. And there, the children usually will squat in a position of inferiority, while the owners of the house are in this position of seniority. The direction northeast, southeast is linked with this. And behind them, you can imagine the ancestors, because, of course, they would be even further away along the northeast of that general movement of generations going down, which goes straight through the house. And of course, that's why the more junior people come along to the southwest. And what is going on, in a sense, very, very simple. I want to talk about things which are simple, not about things which are, which are spectacular, because we've had, we've had enough of this in our project. What they're doing is they're greeting the, their parents or the, the senior generation. They're, 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 they're greeting them, but the greeting takes a special form. It's sung. It's semi-sung. It's not something between singing and, and, and greeting, but the, it's, the words are completely formal. Uh, one says exactly the same thing every morning. But the content of the greeting is that they're asking for a blessing. And this word, I, this is really what I want to explain to you. And the senior people, the senior couple, bless them. They're, they're calling on probably the ancestors are assumed to be behind them, but they are part of, but, but the really important thing is that they're passing on the blessing to their children. So what, what the children have done in coming in the morning is asking for blessing so that what they're going to do during the day is going to be successful via the transmission of the generations. The, the older people are blessing them so that whatever they do, whatever they're, 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 they're going to do during that particular day is going to be successful. And indeed, because the words imply this, also their lives are going to be successful, that they're going to have healthy children, that they're going to, their crops will grow and so on. So it's a very extraordinarily beautiful moment, actually, in the morning, when, when 
the representatives of the children houses, let's call them that, are asking for a blessing and receiving it in a sort of completely stereotyped way, but actually it's sung and doesn't last very long. But of course, since there are quite, usually quite a few children houses, it lasts quite a long time from the point of view of the older people because of course the others come along. Uh, and uh, I, I, I normally live in a house of quite old people and uh, so most of the morning's taken up by these visits. After a while, you know, there are people getting on with the, the business of cooking, preparing things and so on, they don't pay too much attention, but they can manage this singing exchange which is very beautiful. All sorts of other conversations are going on. You, sometimes you can hardly hear it because, of course, they're talking about sort of getting things ready for go, going out to the field or they're gossiping and so on. But there is this well-organized singing. And the main content of this singing is blessing. Blessing is obviously hierarchical because the older people do the blessing, the junior people receive the blessing. The hierarchical sort of sounds like domination. It's hardly like that uh, because it's a sort of gentle, I mean usually, usually it's a gentle and, uh, and supportive blessing. But I think you know, I was talking to you before, it's, it's this flow which is really very, very important. That is what is evoked. You see behind the older people are their parents who blessed them in the past and their parents, I'm using all these words like parents, it's a bit complicated, but uh, their parents bless them. So you can imagine, you know, that whole flow of blessing passing down towards these children who will may well do exactly the same thing in their house in relationship to their <coughs> children. So, so if things, uh, or, or, well, this flow of blessing is going on. But I, I want to, so that I don't talk too long, I want to now talk about another thing which is linked with this, which is basically about sex and marriage. And to give you an idea of what happens to young people in, in this village as they grow up, really as the children, the, the girls, the boys, become sexually active, and ultimately become parents of other children. Now, as in many societies which haven't really been sort of too marked by the world religions, this is a gradual process. In fact, it's becoming like this. Uh, here, uh, I mean, in some ways, we're going back to the normal kinds of things, uh, to the normal kind of gradual process of entry into marriage rather than think of marriage as something which happens one day and the next day you're married. Um, so how does it go? How does it proceed? Well, the girls really take the initiative at first in that they pick up lovers. In the past, they, they used to sort of build the lean-tos next to the, the main houses where they can receive drink, all in great secret, uh, these boys turning up and the boys go uh, are off before the morning. All this is really very important in fact, because there is a very important rule 
which is that parents should be totally unaware of their daughter's sexual activity. They should never, they should probably not entirely unaware, but they must never ever refer to it. They must pretend that they're totally unaware. The boys are sort of night visitors. Now, the reason why this is so important is because what one can consider as the first important ritual going towards marriage. And this occurs uh, again in the house. It's also a ritual of blessing. Nearly all the rituals are, are called rituals of blessing. And at a certain moment, often the girls have had children before, but these children are not really considered the girls' children. They considered the parents of the girls' children. So in other words, the creative potential is never theirs. I mean, obviously, they do produce children. But really, the children passed over the fact that actually it's, it's, it's the young uh, girls who've had the children. And, and actually, I mean, I've many Malagasy people who, who thought that um, the, the young people in the house are actually their brothers or sisters, because one never says that the girls' children uh, are theirs. But after that ritual, that changes. And what does that ritual is? It's called breaking the eyes. Uh, and the most important thing is that the couple, by then one hopes, you know, that the relationship has settled down. You know, at first they sort of try out various boys, but after a while <laughs> they, they settle down. Or usually, I mean, not always, but, <laughs> but they settle down with one. So they, form a, they begin to form a couple and they appear sitting totally sheepishly in front of their parents. Uh, and uh, again, to the southwest, while the parents are to the northeast. And what they're doing is, I mean, there's an aggression towards their parents because they're forcing the parents, by sitting there in front of them, to recognize the fact of their sexual, and also probably even more importantly, their, their procreative activity. The, the, after that, the young couple produce children, which is the most important thing, in fact. Um, because, of course, it is an aggression on the parents, uh, the children give them a certain amount of money, a little bit of a token of money in return for the blessing, because the thing ends with a blessing. Again, very similar to the morning blessings that the parents give to the children. So. The pattern that you have in these morning in these morning visits is reaffirmed. You see, the fact that uh, the children are sort of having sex in, in the dark goes against, if you like, the order of the flow of blessing normally. Once they've broken the eyes of their parents, you can understand why it's, it's called broken, breaking the eyes, because they're, they're in a sense forcing their parents to recognize it. Then the order of the flow of blessing is restored. After that, nothing much changes apart from the fact that children then begin to be the, the children of, of, of the girls. But if uh, I'm giving you the real, you know, how, if things really go well, which is always, <laughs> but the boy then will have begun to build a house. He will have built a house, of course, to the southwest of the house of his parents. Uh, and at first it'll be a really flimsy kind of thing. But little by little, they'll start to make a house. 
nobody will pay attention to this house because nobody will go, no, there will be no cooking going, taking place and the house won't, won't be lived in at all. Uh, it will just be built, it's, it's being built until another very, very important ritual takes place. And of course, by then, the couple usually have had two or three children, at least, father and mother and the children, who have been living focused in the girls' family, who move to the southwest of the boys' house, where the boys been building the house. This movement is very, very important. Uh, usually accompanied by a procession. A big party <laughs> takes place. All the relatives on the boys' side and of the girls' side gather together. And two particularly important actions take place. First of all, the hearth will be used for the first time. The girl, but actually not so much the girl, but the other women of the boys' family uh, will all prepare a really good meal. Really, so it'll be the first time that, that the hearth is being used. And the hearth is associated with the woman meal. What is particularly important is the cooking of taro. And taro is a kind of rude vegetable, which is very significant to the Zephyrmeniary and the Germanic people in Madagascar because it's a food which never gives up. The, the other food, like the maize that you saw, gets sort of flooded or pushed down in, in bad weather. The taro grows actually in um, marshy ground, and therefore, the Zephyrmeniarians has tremendous importance for them. Is that, however bad things are, one will still have taro. So they cook the taro, and this is a central part of that ritual. And the taro is, is turned into a paste, uh, and the paste then is used to cover the central post of the house. Now, the central post is um, associated with the man. This, this couple has now established a house. They're going to feed their children to bring up their children with the food which is a guarantee that, one's not, uh, that things are not going to go wrong. And really, in a sense, that is the completion to the, the final establishment of um, marriage. The process goes on, actually, uh, later than that. But I'm going to stop there to give you an idea. And what's happening is that this is a ritual of blessing. The most important people who do the, the, the anointing of the post and uh, the first cooking on, on the hearth are the parents of the boy, helped actually by the parents of the girl. So in other words, one understand why they call that also blessing, because it's passing on this force which you've, uh, of the generations onto the new house. I would say the central notion uh, of actually all Madagasy rituals are about blessing. Word, the Malagasy word is Sudranu, which, which refers to the passing on of water going down the hill. But it's the passing on of the, light, the, the ability to give life from generation to generation. So I tried to give you these two, two vignettes, give you an idea of what I think, as far as people are concerned, is one of the most important <coughs> things in life. 
So, just a I said I'd say a little bit about these two jobs that I do, um, with these two occupations which some anthropologists do. Um, and I don't think we can cheat by saying, well, look, I'm going to impose my ideas about human evolution to understand what's going on in the village directly. It wouldn't work. In fact, it would mislead very rapidly. But I think I can reflect from the particular interpretation of the human situation which the Zephyrmenieri are in, which the, the, the rituals that they've evolved are about, like all our rituals, everything that we do, similarly, in the situation which, as a species, we've been involved <coughs> in. And it makes me think about what is characteristic about human evolution. And perhaps the easiest way I can explain to you is by a comparison with chimpanzee societies, who are about our closest relatives. Now, chimpanzees have sex, they have children, they're also rather fond of their children, but they don't have the kind of rituals that I've been talking about, you know, the breaking of the eyes. And I think it's worth our thinking what this means. H how this is, in a sense, is saying, look, this production of children, which the couple have been involved in, needs to be taken over by a much, much larger network of relatives. There's a kind of aggression. The, the, the children who sort of sit there squatting really are rather afraid of, their, of, of displaying their sexual activity, but I think much more important, but I would say displaying their capacity to create in front of their parents. And it's being taken over by the parents of the girl in order to say, look, we want to make it part of that much, much wider system which will carry on throughout life and actually will go on. I think you can really understand what's going on if you compare it with, with chimps. This would, you know, a young chimp couple, productivity is not taken over, taken up, re reused to build a much wider kind of society. And if you think about what's going on during the, the, the ritual of the, of the blessing of the new house, again, what, what's happening is, is that everybody participates. All the parents are being brought in, into the productive process. That is being taken over as part of a much wider kind of system, which I think in, in, in the end is what characterizes human society as opposed to, 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 to chimpanzee society. So some very general ideas about what it is, what is going on, what has made us really different from chimpanzees, I think we can begin to get hints from thinking about the breaking of the eyes. I mean, I'll just leave it with you so that you can sort of think along these lines, because that's the way I think about it. And then, you know, I can look back in what's going on in lots of other societies and sort of see this process. There seems to be a kind of conflict between the establishing of wide networks, which anthropologists sometimes call kinship networks, which in fact also, when you get state societies, are what states get hold of and reorganize in order to build a forms of, of societies which are completely unlike what chimpanzee bands are like. Well, they're very similar to us. I mean, every, you know, I think a lot of the way we've been taught to think has made us forget just how close we are to, to each other higher primates. But there's a really big difference. 
There's a really big difference. You've got those big literature. That's where I think where I can stop by showing you how looking at things from the inside and then thinking in terms of the history of mankind gives us hints about uh, the nature of human evolution. Right. Uh, that's, that's it. Has anyone got any questions before you've got any questions? Oh, thank you. It was very interesting. What do you think, actually, uh, and which seems to be kind of related, because blessings, as you have been focusing on, has been quite an essential characteristic of many Eastern cultures, especially where I'm coming from. So people always take blessings from their elders. Um, and many times, the like, first thing in the morning, you go touch the feet of your parents and then get the blessing. So it's just a different uh, format which is followed there. But then I really... I Can I just answer that a second? Yeah. Yes, in terms of you know the particular characteristic of what is going on, but I, I think it's universal. I mean, in a sense, young people are attacking the, attacking the older generation. The older generation is attacking the young ones. That is given in the fact that whether you're in the east or the west. But I'm surprised that you're looking at it as attacking. I think it's the harmonizing. You are. When you grow, then you're young to take care of, I think. Uh, but for this reason, I'm surprised why you made this comparison with chimpanzees. With what? Thank you. That, is, that was really amazing. Why you made this comparison with chimpanzees? Why are you comparing with them with primates, whereas they are human beings, and there are <laughs> other cultures you can, you know, well, I mean, of course, I, I, of course, I, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm comparing with, with primates is because I think thinking of what the difference is makes us understand what it is about human beings, uh, which the uniqueness of human beings. Because precisely, what is it that chimpanzees don't do? They don't, in fact, uh, take the, the 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 productive power of the young to create much wider societies than what human beings do. So the comparison is not to say they're the same, but in fact to focus on the difference. Is Sorry? That would relate to many other animals? Well, I mean, chimpanzees are very close to us. Genetically, they're very close. They're, I mean, obviously, there are big differences. We have language, they don't. But I think one of the things that I, I try to think about when I try to think about human beings generally is just you know, we must recognize that we are so close to these other animals, but we're also very different. So what, how can I pinpoint what the difference is? I mean, there are lots of other important differences. I think we have a follow-up question. Do you have a follow-up question? Yes. Yeah, go for it. In a way, when you, when you compare cultures outside your own culture to primates, it's reflective of a very colonial mindset of looking at other people. So... I would argue that it's not the most reflexive approach that you could have taken in terms of describing the people that you were studying. And also, it doesn't situate them within the current social context. So in a way, the way you approach this kind of romanticizes the group that you're working with and displaces them from the actual political and social situation that they're But I, I don't think it does that at all. Uh, I mean... One of the things which, which this business we have been talking about makes me think about is why on the earth do we have marriage? I mean, that seems to me a, a really bizarre thing. Because, of course, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't need to be married to have children. 
uh, you don't need to uh, or, or, or have sex. But in a sense, modern marriage really does show this. Uh, on, on the whole, it's not the beginning of sex, it's not the beginning of, of having children. But what it is the beginning of is the attempt to reuse the creative potential of, of the young for building these much wider systems. I don't, you see, so I don't think um, I would compare what's going on in uh, Exeter just as much to the chimpanzees. You see, I, I'm not, I don't think they're more like chimpanzees, and, but I, I try to think of the whole of the, the family of mankind and trying to understand what has happened in that whole family. And so one other thing I'd like to say, why is it uh, I'm interested in people like, the, like these people in Madagascar? I think, first of all, you know, comparing the different kinds of human beings that we've got enables us to do this very general understanding of what is special about human beings. And secondly, there is a, a, something I didn't mention. These are people who are outside the state. Now, very interestingly, why are they outside the state? is not because they're primitive, is that they're people who've run away from the, from the state. Uh, one knows their history, and I, um, and I think their history is extremely important. Uh, they live in this sort of forest area. They've moved in this forest area from the large states which existed on the highlands, on both sides of them. And they, like many people around the world, try to avoid the power of the state. So they're rather interesting to think about in those terms. What is it? What is it to live without the state? You see, I think the state is, in fact, parasitic on the kinds of things which are taking over the young people as they're getting married. And on that note, we're going to have to finish. But that was a really good question. If you want to carry on that discussion, then please come forward. We can have discussions and go out into the bar. But thank you so much.